You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. We've got a great show lined up for you today on David's Pick. And uh, as we always do, um, we've got Paul Hansen on, and uh, we're going to be inviting him on in just a second. But before we get started with Paul, let's uh, we'll do our normal thing, which is uh, in memory of... Uh, my good friend J. Roy Ritchie that recently died of uh, from the effects of Agent Orange, We, if you go to our homepage, we have a J. Roy Ritchie Memorial, and uh, it's the Veterans of Veteran Prayer Line. And if you're a veteran or know a veteran that needs prayer, just uh, send their name to us and uh, their rank, and we'll be sure and on our some of our other veteran shows we'll be glad to mention their name and ask that uh, that other veterans pray for these veterans so with that being said we're going to take our moment of silence and then we'll come back with a cadence call and then we'll get into our show with paul hansen right after this so if you don't mind let's uh, take a moment and think of our brothers and sisters that have gone before us and that are on active duty now. Bless our veterans and put your arm around those that are on active duty and need thy help throughout the day. With that being said, amen, and we appreciate everyone listening. And uh, again, if you have uh, need a prayer or know of someone that does, let us know. With that being said, we're going to go on to one of my favorite things and always puts a smile on my face. And we love those Jodies. And with that, let's welcome our friend, Mr. Paul Hansen. Paul, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing fine, David. How are you doing? I'm doing well for uh, a uh, beautiful Thursday morning. The sun is out, and we're going to put a smile on folks' face somewhere or the other. And we do appreciate you taking the time to come and be on our show. Paul is a... Vietnam veteran, and uh, he did his AIT 
at Fort Polk, which uh, I was very lucky that I it was next door to my home state, Texas. But in the infinite wisdom of the military, they sent me to California, and I had a, a <laughs> beautiful basic and AIT at Fort Ord. And uh, I, I don't envy you being there with those uh, eagle-sized mosquitoes at Fort Polk. Well, while I was there, it wasn't quite so bad. It was about froze to death. It was uh, in December. Ah. Well, you and I must have been on uh, active duty about the same time. I went to uh, Fort Ord uh, the first part of January and uh, left there in May. Yeah, I was I was drafted in September and did basic training in Fort Lewis, uh, Washington, and then AIT at Fort Polk, and then they sent me to sunny Southeast Asia uh, in February of 68, just in time for Tet. You know, that had to be, I don't know how old you were when you did that, but that had to be just the, just the name Tet, you know, sort of puts the fear into you. Well, it didn't take long after you got there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, uh, let me ask, I mean, I, I, I did not serve in country, and, um, what was it like? To, did you feel like you were really prepared to to join the troops uh, that it were seasoned? Let me back up. Seasoned troops, and I'm sure you had somebody that was a mentor from the time you got off the plane until uh, you were knee deep in Tet. Well, you don't know if you were prepared or not because everybody you were with was the same position you were in. And when you arrived in country, they didn't put you directly into the jungle. They had what they called a, a week's orientation. And I think that was a, a lot to climatize you to the to the temperature and the humidity. Uh, but during that week, on one night, they did take you out into the jungle on ambush as a bunch of new guys, you know. And uh, Thankfully, it was a pretty secure location where they didn't have a lot of contact, so nothing happened during that week. And then they broke you up. It's not like today's military where they send a unit at a time where everybody knows everybody. We were all drafted, and I had one individual from my hometown that I was drafted with that I knew pretty well, but after that week's orientation... They split us up. He could type, so he became the battalion commander's uh, secretary. And I couldn't type, but I could shoot, so they sent me with the 1st Armored Cav uh, out into the jungle. You know, that's one thing I uh, have said many times, is that uh, the best course I ever took in school from the first grade through college, through getting my degree, was typing. And that, you know, there just weren't that many people in the military that could type. And I could do, I could still do 60 words a minute, you know. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. boy, they sucked me up and put me in the office almost immediately. And uh, I, I typed my own honorable discharge papers, as a matter of fact. So, uh, Well, you, you didn't know. get to have all the fun that we did. That's true. I didn't. And uh, yeah. I... Uh, from the tales that we've heard from other veterans, uh, 
I think I, I'm glad I missed some of that fun. Yeah. But, you know, let me ask you something, man. I, and this this was not not on – this has nothing to do with you other than you're a veteran, as am I. And, and uh, I just – I about <laughs> exploded yesterday when I heard this. And I just can't think of uh, anything bad enough that can happen to whoever did this. But did you hear about the situation in Washington with the Michigan and Indiana Guard? No, I did not. Well, and I have no clue who was feeding them or has been feeding them. But a couple of, I think it was two or three days ago, and I think it happened to the Michigan Guard first and then to the Indiana Guard. But they were fed their meal for the, I don't know, evening lunch or evening whatever. Uh, the meat was was not thoroughly cooked. And on top of that, it had steel shavings in it. And, you know, a number of the Michigan Guard got sick. I think something like 50 or so members of the Guard got sick, and then the rest of them just didn't eat it. They got word of it quick enough. But I can't imagine, well, like one of the newscasters or opinion people said, it was, it was no accident to get steel shavings and meat, you know. And I just, I hope they find whoever did that and they hang them upside down at the first oak tree, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no excuse for that. No. And I just, it it basically made me sick to hear that anybody, you know, what people don't understand, or somewhat, I guess, is... These guys, and and it's absurd that we have 5,000. We have more reservists in Washington, D.C., more troops in D.C. than we do in Iraq and Iran. And this is just, yeah, it's absurd. And then to have something like an incident like this happen, um, people don't understand that these guys and, and women – or have given up their jobs or businesses and whatever to serve you and me and the rest of the country. I don't agree with the length of time they've been there. And, uh, you know, they should be home taking care of their families and their businesses. And well, the guard, the guard today is not like it was 50 years ago. Uh, the guard was, a, you know, you got to go camping Oh, uh, in meetings once, uh, what is it, every two weeks, I guess? No, once a month. Yeah, once a month. So now the guard gets called up to active duty every other day. Well, uh, yeah, it so, does, and that's because know. we have no military uh, right. that are, are that many active duty, and particularly uh, uh, I was 11 Bravo, which is light arms infantry, for those that don't know. and that uh, was, That's what I was, yeah. Yeah, and... and uh, you know that's uh, it's people, and it's not people think that it's the nation, but the guard and reserve is 
Georgia National Guard, Georgia Army Reserve, or whatever state. They are a state operation, and the governor is the one that calls them out. Now, as soon as they've been called out, they can be activated and become federal uh, and be paid by the feds. But, uh, you know, the the Guard and, and uh, Army Reserve are somewhat misunderstood, but we're going to... We're going to clarify that in the next few weeks very strongly. But I just, yeah. I just, not to, not of, to back up, but you talk about metal shavings in the food. Uh, periodically, when we would get out of the jungle back to a civilian in, uh, area, if we had an opportunity, we would go and eat with the locals and then found out that some of them were putting glass in with the food mm. to eat up your intestines. And when that came out, then we were, you know, told not to eat with them anymore. So, you know, metal shavings, what's the difference if the enemy does it or or somebody locally? It's still not, uh, it's something that could really hurt you. Oh, yeah. And uh, the enemy is one thing. Your homegrown enemy is a whole different thing, and that's a whole uh, different thing. I, the homegrown enemy, whoever did this, and I do hope they find them. Uh, they should. Nothing bad enough could happen to them, in my right. opinion. Right, they should treat them like the enemy. You're yep. right. Yep. So, with that being said, uh, <laughs> I have to ask, since you and I went through the same with the same MOS. Uh, when you got there, got to Vietnam, did you think, okay, survival, escape, and evasion, don't let me down now. And <laughs> Half the time when I was in the country, I didn't have any idea where I was. Escape and evasion would have been pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's either rice, rice patties or jungle canopy. Hmm. <laughs> So, what was your first impression? I did. Did you, like I said earlier, did you feel like you were were trained for this and ready to rock and roll uh, after your? Well, yeah, you know, wars are fought by kids or young. I guess young people were not kids, but you know, eighteen, nineteen, twenty year olds. If if you're seventy six like I am today, you don't go to war. You know better. <laughs> But uh, wars are fought by kids, so you think you're invisible, even when people on your left and right get shot. You know, it missed you, so you're invincible. Yeah, you know, but I will ask this. Um, you know, we've, uh, over the, the uh, well, I tell you what, I'm going to ask it or tell it when I come back. We're going to take our first break right quick. I let time get away from me too often, and... Uh, uh, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with Paul Hansen, Hansen right after this. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. 
This program, From Lawyers to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show, talk about your business, or express your opinion on America's Web Radio? Just email gm at americaswebradio.com and we'll get back to you. Thank you. And we're back on America's Web Radio and David's pick with our guest today, Mr. Paul Hansen, and we're delighted to have him on. And, and uh, Paul and I can relate because we went through the same basic in AIT, and uh, that's where our relation stops because he went on to uh, NAM and I went home. But, uh, you know, it is interesting. And, uh, Paul, we were, we were talking about when you got there, did 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 you feel like you were totally trained to to do the job that uh, light arms infantry when you got to Nam? You're invincible. Yeah, you don't get a lot of training. But I was talking. I had a, a gentleman from Phoenix, Arizona, call me the other day that was in the same unit that I was in, and I hadn't talked to anybody from that unit in fifty years. Uh, don't remember most of the names. Uh, you learn real fast not to get real close to anybody. But when you're in the country in a, in that situation, you're the new guy. But in a month's time, you're not a new guy anymore. It, it, then you're one of the one of the the battle hardened and the, and, and the weary. And, and after that, it's just a a trudging everyday thing. You. I was an RTO, so your backpack weighs between 80 and 100 pounds. And in the heat and humidity, you know, it's, it's, you just, you patrol all day. And, uh, get bitten by a few strange bugs, I think, huh? Well, there's, yeah, there's bugs and snakes and, and they had a flying beetle that was probably two inches long and an inch in diameter, and they said, the one without the horn is okay, but the one with the horn don't let it bite you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you and I were kidding about that war was for the young, um, and I say we we really weren't kidding. It was a, you oh, know, it's a fact. Yeah, it's a fact. Yeah. But by the same token, I don't think I've interviewed any veteran that I said, you know, if country called again, would you raise your? Would you go if? If the country said, we need you, Paul, would you go back in? Absolutely. You know, and I think that's what people don't understand about veterans is that 
that's everybody's attitude, not not just yours and not just mine, but uh, everybody's attitude. The other, the other, and I want to, I don't want to get too far into the show before I ask you this, and and maybe give you some time to uh, think about it. I know that you're very involved with the uh, American Legion up in Dahlonega, and. Uh, so you all get together, and they'll be sitting around. And the one hardball question that I promised you, no real hardballs, but the one hardball question I have to ask, and I ask everyone, is when you all are together, can you name one veteran that you know that can tell only one story? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think every veteran is full of them. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you get a one if you get one you get them all. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know, I'm a vet. Of course, I don't come around a lot of Vietnam veterans. Um, don't talk about it much. It's just something that you file back in the back of your head. And I know I'm carrying the PTSD. I'm I've been self-employed my whole life and. You don't have much time for people that aren't professionals, and, and you, you snap and you get short really quick. And um, but when you do talk about it, it's it's ninety percent of the time it's about the funny things that happened. Right. That you know, if it happened in civilian life, you say, "Geez, I wonder why I didn't die." <laughs> <laughs> Doing stuff like that or being in that situation, but <laughs> in that type of environment it was just another day and you laugh about it because it was pretty funny <laughs> well and you know there's uh we we talk about this many times you made a statement which uh, a lot of friends have made that um you know and 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 a lot of the cause of ptsd is that uh you make a friend and the next day horrific things may have happened to that friend and uh so a lot of a lot of guys and i assume women too but a lot of guys well it's just as easy or it's better for my mental stability just not to make that many friends or get that close to somebody and well, uh, that's what i was saying earlier was in today's military you go as a group so you know everybody or you're friends with with most of them, and that, that's got to make it really hard. Yeah. In my so. situation, they sent a plane load to Vietnam, and I knew one person on the plane, and we went through the week orientation together, and then he was sent to a uh, battalion where I went to a company, and you don't know anybody. And, you know, the first three months, you kind of get to know a few of the guys in your platoon and, and, and around you. And we got into one heavy firefight where the six of the closest guys that I was close to didn't make it. And after that, I didn't get close to anybody. You just, you just kind of build up a, a shield and you got their back and they've got yours, but you don't, you don't make close friends. You know, we, we talk about that and uh, frequently about the uh, the fact that uh, that's that's what you learn in basic and AIT, and then when you go into to a uh, 
hot zone is that uh, you know you're they're depending on you and it, it's sort of an unsaid or un something uh, known but that you have their back and they have your back and whether you know them well or not you can this is uh, this is what our military is soft let me ask you something because we did share the same basic in AIT you know when I was in I, I was very fortunate we the draft had just ended and we were into the lottery situation and uh, a lot of us had volunteered and uh or joined the reserves or whatever. And so we sort of had a, a, and most of us were college graduates or some had had some college or whatever, but we were a whole different breed, sort of speak, of uh, other people in our unit. But, uh, you know, there were times going through basic and AIT and, you know, as you were doing something or somebody was yelling at you and, and, uh, why in the hell are we doing this? And then later on, and even today, every now and then, I'll think of something that happened during during basic or AIT, and say, you know, I know why we did that. Yeah, now you understand. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and I, I think you know, I look at our military, and we're two hundred and forty years old, or whatever, and. It's probably one of the most perfected jobs in the world, and there's the psychology and the reason for doing it, and as we've gone to war and come out of wars, uh, we've learned something, and then they try to teach it to the next group that's going through basic and AIT, and, uh, you know, we were, we went into Nam, and we were sort of shocked at the fact that, uh, I know being from Texas, I would have been shocked, but what's all this green stuff? And uh, <laughs> we we thought wars were all fought in the open and behind trees, and you could identify your enemy, and yet in Nam, there were many times that folks, you couldn't even identify the enemy, and or they were in a cave, or they were in, you know, underground or whatever. And it Well, was, in, the, in the jungle so thick, sometimes you put your hand out, you couldn't see it, you know. Yeah. But, you know, the Army still wanted to, to, to fight in the open, so they sprayed Agent Orange on the jungles to defoliate it, and then they sent us in with flamethrowers after it was dead to try to burn it out. Yeah. You know, we we were not prepared. Well, <laughs> the reality of it is we were not in many ways prepared for Vietnam uh, as far as the... Uh, jungle and so forth went but you turn that right back around and here we go to the middle east with green camouflage tanks yeah now, in they, the desert in the <laughs> desert so they sort of stuck out like sore thumbs and then yeah. then they had to bring all the ones they had shipped over there back to fort stewart and i i just happened to be at fort stewart touring and uh there they were painting all the green APCs and tanks and everything else uh, light sandy color. Yeah. So sometimes we're just as prepared as we are, we aren't prepared or we don't, I don't know yeah, who makes I the was, decision. I was in the first air cab uh, and I think that's where the helicopters really came in 
and proved to be a good fighting machine. And we carried uh, a lot of C4 with us in the jungle because every night we'd we'd blow a clearing uh, where the helicopters could come in and bring us hot food. We were fortunate we got hot food probably four or five times a week. Wow. Uh, even though we changed locations every day, we'd, we'd clear out a blow trees and, and, and clear out an area where the, where the helicopters could come in and land with the Miramite cans and feed us. Uh, an LZ. An LZ. <laughs> yep. Did, uh, were you in a situation to use the, um, Oh, what am I thinking about? The uh, oh, I'll think about it in a minute. Um, uh, some of the did you all use a lot of decor and and uh, and the decor? Uh, yeah. yeah, cleaning out trees and jungle and all that stuff. Yeah, you depend on the size of the tree. You'd wrap three or four uh, pound sticks of C four under with decor, then back off and get in a foxhole and and take them down. And how about your Claymore mines? Oh, yeah. Everybody carried a Claymore. And once in a while took out the uh, the C4 in it to uh, light your fires? Or, or well, warm up your didn't last that long. We didn't have to worry about that. Oh, for, yeah, for lighting your fires? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. You'd pinch off a block to make a little, make a little stove out of your sea rations and then light a fire with it, yeah. Uh, it was a... a Different war. You, you said that uh, you hadn't talked to a friend in uh, in a good while, and he called the other night. You said, "I'm sorry, you broke up a uh, little bit there." Okay, you said uh, one of your friends had called that you hadn't spoken with in a good while. Actually, he wasn't a friend. I don't remember him, but for, he lives in Phoenix, Arizona, and he was trying to contact all of the survivors we had one real major firefight on may 9th and i'd received a purple heart and somehow he got my name and phone number and called me and asked me if i was if i'd got my purple heart that day and which company i was with and i told him and i was with second platoon and he was in the first platoon and he was trying to contact everybody wow so that's the the first person I've talked to uh, since I left Vietnam about you know our our particular unit. That's amazing that he traced you down and uh, and got oh, to yeah. talk. Yeah, yeah, and he mentioned all people's names, and I probably know them, but I don't. I you know it's been so many years. I don't think about it. I can't remember. And I've got some uh, first air cav magazines that they printed during Vietnam, which shows a bunch of the helicopter sorties. And and I I mailed him one of those. I asked him if he'd ever seen them. And uh, he told me the same thing. He says, boy, you talk about bring back memories when you look at these guys laying in the bomb craters. And all the trees, as far as you can see, are all blowed up all the bombing that they had done and uh, it brought back a lot of members I hadn't looked at those magazines myself in probably 10 years you know what What was uh, after the firefight what was the best sound you could possibly hear 
silence. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, after the firefight, they put me on a helicopter and sent me back to the medical rear. I well, got hit with a piece of shrapnel. Wasn't that the thump, 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 thump of a Huey coming in, a, a dust off coming in to pick you up? Oh, that, that, that happened during the firefight when the fog lifted enough where we could get, we couldn't get any artillery, Huey, or jet support. And, uh, the fog was so heavy. You could see on the ground, but, you know, 15 feet up, it was just socked in. And the best sound I heard was a, a Cobra helicopter coming right over the top of me with mini guns and the 20 millimeter rockets and just showering me with hot brass. <laughs> and that, I was glad to see him. Oh, yeah, I imagine. Uh, how effective do you think the Cobra was? And and it all it all started really with the gunships from the the Huey gunships really didn't it? Well, the Cobra was the just uh, the fighting helicopter. It had the, the the rockets and the minigun, and that's all they did was come in for uh, fire support. Uh, Puff the Magic Dragon was the C one fifty with all the machine guns on it. That that was really a pretty sight at night to watch them open up and cut loose. Oh, I bet, and. Uh, they could lay down some cover, couldn't they? Mm-hmm. And did they have a cannon on them as well? I don't know. For some reason, I was I was thinking they did, but I, I know the the power of uh, the guns that they had were was just absolutely incredible, um, and they they were very strategically used, as I recall. And uh, or believe I've been told, um, and you know it was a it was a different war, a different everything. Uh, did you ever? Uh, one of the reasons I really wasn't interested. I'm I'm not too big, and uh, I think the army would have raised my hand to be a tunnel rat. Which that just the <laughs> thought of it. You know, I I just I'm claustrophobic, and I I just. I couldn't handle that. Well, that was a volunteer job. Uh, you had to be a small, wiry, skinny little guy in order to get into those those tunnels. Mm-hmm. And that was that take a strange individual. That uh, I, I couldn't do it either. When you, when you say uh, you had to volunteer, uh, I noticed that every now and then the the army volunteered you. <laughs> Well, in uh, out on the field like that, the officers had to be careful, kind of careful how they volunteered people too. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how was the how was the mix? You were uh, you came out as a uh, E five buck sergeant, and um, how was the relationship between? officers and NCOs. Today, I've noticed my son's a, a, a major in the Air Force, and yet he has friends that are NCOs. And back when I was in, the officers were the officers, and everybody else, you didn't, uh, you didn't fraternize. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't fraternize with officers. I was I was close to my lieutenant because I was his uh, radio telephone operator. But, you know, when we were set up, 
he would go sit with the officers, and then I sit with the enlisted men. Right. It's, and a lot of that has really changed in that they their attitude, or I say their, the military attitude today is that, well, we're all walking and breathing the same air, so we must be all in some ways the same. And it's another thing, too, that uh, I was... well taught by a captain that you never addressed an officer as captain or lieutenant or anything an LT you could but a captain or major you didn't you didn't address them as captain or major you addressed them as sir or madam or ma'am and uh, but today that's changed as well yeah I uh in in uh, in the war zone, you didn't salute officers. They didn't want the, they didn't want the enemy to know who was the officer. So you'd call them sir or captain. You know the captain was with you in the, in the field, mm-hmm. and uh, the lieutenants were lieutenants. So it uh, and I wasn't fit for military life when I was discharged. I had six months left to uh, to serve, and I was. Uh, it was the Third Armored Cav Regiment in Fort Lewis, and as soon as they got me, they put me opcon to the ROTC summer camp program up in the North Fort, which is a basic training section. And they took five of us uh, NCOs, all of us buck sergeants, and gave us uh, some old E8 that was waiting to be discharged and retire but they wouldn't let him go because it was medical so he said you know if you screw up we'll just have formation out here at five o'clock every morning and he said if you don't screw up you won't see me <laughs> <laughs> so as long as we were on the job to uh i worked in supply for the uh for the college rotc summer camp programs and uh, as long as we showed up and did our job and 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 uh, kept our nose clean. We could do whatever we wanted to do. So, well, that wasn't bad duty, was it? That was that was pretty good duty. Uh, we had a CW four um, Colonel Shaw that was in charge of everything, and that was an amazing older gentleman. He could he could talk to you, talk on the telephone, and write three different things all at the same time, and keep it all going. I was just amazing. <laughs> A warrant officer, huh? A warrant officer, CW four, yep. Yeah, you know that was a that was a confusing, and if I were to go back in today, it would still be confusing. Uh, you know exactly, a warrant officer is sort of a NCO officer in a way, I guess. But I never really grabbed on to exactly, and most of them back when I was in were pilots, were uh, copter pilots. Yeah, I don't I don't know anything about his background, but when the uh, the IG, the inspecting general, came out, the general called him sir. Huh. <laughs> he was he was just a sharp old fella. He didn't, I mean, you know, of course I was early twenties, and uh, he looked like an old man to me. But yeah, he had to be at least sixty. Wow. Yeah, he was about to retire, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, you know, one of the, 
I guess one of the good things, or one of the things that came out of Nam was the uh, all of the different weaponry and and uh, needs that were filled and are still being used today. That uh, technical stuff, I guess. Um, I guess Vietnam was one of the first places they used uh, starlight scopes, and uh, well, the starlight scope in Vietnam. <laughs> You felt like you were toting your suitcase with you. I mean, that thing was huge. Yep. And heavy. And heavy, yes. Yeah, but it worked, you know. And uh, yet the technology that we have today, it's uh, the lens on your helmet or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, and that's when the, the M16 came out. Of course, that one, uh, of course, they say it was the ammo, but that one wasn't very good. It would jam pretty quickly on you. You had to keep it super clean all the time, didn't you? Well, it didn't make any difference. Well, it, yeah, you carried, you cleaned it all the time, and especially with a helicopter unit, because every time you got picked up or 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 let out someplace, you know, dirt and sand. The first thing you do when you when you get off a helicopter is you spread out in a perimeter, and you wait a few minutes, and then when nothing happens, and every other person cleans the rifle. Wow. And they also, initially with the 16, the uh, flash suppressor didn't have the little loop or didn't have the ring at the end of it, and uh, it would get caught up in the in the jungle, in the stuff. Oh, yeah. And uh, so they had to... Did you, uh, did you ever carry the law? Oh, yeah. That, yeah, I shot the law, the M79. Grenade, grenade launcher. launcher. Oh, I love that. I, oh, yeah. The... Yeah. That sound, I was, uh, I can hear it today, but at the same token, we were firing the M79. Heinz, I believe, Heinz uh, uh, Ketchup was running a commercial, and uh, the M79 sounded, they, they, the commercial was they were pushing a tomato into a, into a bottle and it and it would go thump and and that was exactly the way the m79 sounded yeah and uh oh yeah i enjoyed i i've shot both of those i didn't carry either one of them because most of my time out in the field was uh a radio telephone operator i was with the second lieutenant until he got killed and then Shortly after, I, I went in with the command post for the company commander and carried it for him until I got a uh, a job in the company rear. I got a job uh, managing the uh, medical company rear at one of the fire bases. And, uh, but as an RTO, in addition to carrying the, the Prick 25, the PRC 25, with an extra battery, uh, then you had to carry uh, three smoke grenades, Two hand grenades, a claymore mine, and 400 rounds of ammunition. <laughs> yeah, you you were a pack mule. Well, yeah, and then you had to have that. Uh, in addition to your personal stuff, your food, and your uh, sleeping gear, and you had to have your 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 rucksack and your and your harness put together so that you could drop everything except your fighting gear in case you had to move fast you know you just didn't take your 
didn't need your bed if you were going into a firefight. Right. Uh, Paul, we're going to have to take another break. Uh, we'll be back with Paul Hansen and the stories from Vietnam right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. And I want to mention one other thing right quick. Uh, we work very closely with Rick White, who is the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame here in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, it's in the uh, Floyd building right across the street from the Capitol. And it, Rick does just a fantastic job. And he has certainly been a big help to me on the show. And... Uh, I just want to always give a shout out to uh, Rick, Colonel Rick White, retired, and uh, what a wonderful job! And and if you haven't been to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, then please put it. If you live in Atlanta, make plans to go down and see it. If you're coming to Atlanta, make plans, put that on your to-do list. And uh, you'll enjoy every minute, and uh, they even have a good cafeteria there. So uh, please remember the Georgia Military Veterans Hall and Hall of Fame, downtown Atlanta, right across the street from the Capitol building. So with that being said, that sort of is a good uh, uh, sway or swag into uh, into what you're doing now, Paul, and uh, what you all are doing up in Dahlonega. You really don't appreciate the United States of America until you've been to a third world country and, and, and been through something like Vietnam. And it really made me appreciate this country ever since I've been back. And back a few years ago, a, a good friend of mine wanted to do a community service project. We started it with the Masonic Lodge up here. And we decided to honor our deceased veterans by um, making memorial markers, veterans memorial markers for our deceased veterans and lining the streets of Dahlonega with them. And 
a friend of mine came up with the idea, and of course, I've got a woodworking shop, and I like to make sawdust, so I said I can make them, and 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 I've kind of spearheaded the project ever since. It's it's we started it in in 2000 with 28 memorial markers, and last November when we took them down from the streets, we had exactly 900. Wow. So even for a small town like Dahlonega, uh, I've got 14 different teams that go out and put up approximately 60 markers per team, and there's 10 to 12 people per team that volunteer to help. So there's 150 volunteers that, that show up to put these things up and take them down and help maintain them. I've got volunteers that help me build them, help me paint them. It's just amazing the the spree decor up here in Blanca. And of that nine hundred, are they were they all citizens of Delanaga at one time or something, or are they just no? Uh, they're random. Uh, one of the requirements is you have to be a citizen of of Delanaga or Lumpkin County, and uh, it, it it started off for loved ones and family members. And uh, since then, we've tied, it was growing so fast we couldn't maintain. <laughs> so we've, we've narrowed it down to uh, Lumpkin County residents, and then the person has to have lived in Lumpkin County at one point or another. Lumpkin, uh, Delanaga is a, a military town. The Army does their mountain, the Army Rangers do their mountain training up here, so Camp, Camp Merle's up here. And there's a lot of. Um, rangers that have gone through the mountain training and love the area, and when they retire, they come back. So we've got a good military presence presence in the area. I've run their uh, Mother Day Mother's Day five uh, k up there. Oh, okay. And uh, it, it is beautiful. And I've been to their little museum that they have. I assume they still have it. They uh, do. It's it's not too big, but I love museums. Yeah, it's 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 not big. It's it's a small little building, but it's really interesting. Yes, sir. And uh, I think uh, any uh, well, all rangers go there, and I think uh, any of the other special forces train there as well, don't they? I don't I don't know about the other special forces, but they do the the rangers do their mountain training here. Yes, <laughs> and ranger being back in the day, the Green Berets. Yeah, and uh, you know that's uh, very interesting uh, uh, that that area provides so much. Uh, what can I? What, what am I trying to say? The um, of mountain climbing and all sorts of obstacles and the training that you need to go almost anywhere. It's. <laughs> I've got a couple of close friends that went through that, and what they tell me, you know, I thought Vietnam was bad, but I think the Mountain Ranger Corps here is probably almost, other than the fact you don't have anybody shooting at you, but they they work the guys hard. They they take them out for, for days at a time, uh, just barely enough food to survive on. They, they, they work them 20, 22 hours a day, sleep deprived them. They want to break them down and see who can still function and think when they're absolutely wore out and, and half starving to death. You, you say they put them on, on 
on a night guard when they're out in the mountains. And he said he'd take his bayonet and put the bayonet underneath his chin. So if he started nodding off, the huh. point would stick him and he'd wake back up because he said, you sure as heck don't want to get caught sleeping on guard duty. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, once they get through with it, they all head to the Smith house. Is that right? Yeah, the Smith house gets a fried chicken. You're yeah. right. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's... Uh, Oh, I, I always like to mention the fact that the military, today's military, if you're graduating a senior from high school or you're in college and haven't decided what you want to do, I can guarantee you, and I make this guarantee every week, that there is some branch of the military that offers you something that you want to do for life. And... Uh, the training is incredible. Once you have finished your training or whatever you've decided to do, and and if you uh, get your commission or resign your commission and decide you've had enough of the military, when you come out, you're a step ahead of everybody on either side of you, front, back, or sides, that you have been in the military, and on your resume... That makes all the difference in the world because no matter – well, just just like Paul came out as an E-5 buck sergeant. He and I were the same on that. And uh, you come out, and no matter what rank you are, you have learned discipline and leadership. And every business in the country wants those two things. They know that they can count on you to do the job, and they know that you will be a leader in – your portion of that job, and you're a step ahead of everybody else. And you know, you know, David, it's just amazing what you know. You saying that just amazing what uh, two months of basic training and two months of AIT, uh, how much that changes an individual. Yes, sir. They will. That will make a man out of you. And that carries with you the rest. It teaches you how to take orders or how to give orders. You know, in, in, in basic training, I was a couple years older than most of them, so they made me a squad leader. Well, I had, didn't have any leadership experience, but <laughs> once you drop and have to do push-ups with the guys in your squad because they screwed up, uh, then you learn how to control your squad, you know. Absolutely. It, uh, but uh, the military is just uh, just in four months. It really just makes a man out of you. You're right. I think I think the youth today, everybody, boys and girls, should should go through and 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 do two years in the military. Amen. I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, we wouldn't have some of the garbage that's going on today if if everybody did. That's that's uh, one thing that I salute. Israel for doing and uh, yeah. I yeah. think it's a uh, it's a great plan and you know every oh, I don't want to be in the <laughs> I tell you what it's a, one of the best experiences that I ever had and like I asked you earlier you know I don't know of a veteran in in any shape I might add that if called upon wouldn't answer the call and go back in in a heartbeat um, and a lot of them have uh, through this pandemic. The military, a lot of folks don't realize, but what 
role the military has played in the pandemic because yep. they know how to get it done. They know how to get, that's right. That's one thing the military teaches you, two things. It teaches you how to give an order, and it teaches you how to take the order. Yes, sir. No question and, about that. And that's that. basically what basic training in AIT is all about. It's, it's, it's if you're told to do something, do it. Don't argue about it. Just shut up and do it. Just get her done. That's right. Who has a driver's license? You raise your hand and, well, there, go drive that wheelbarrow. <laughs> yep. And don't throw a cigarette butt on the ground because they'll make you dig a hole and bury it, and then they'll say, which end has the uh, the filter on it? And you'll say, uh, this end, and they'll say, that, you buried it the wrong way. <laughs> dig it up and turn it around. <laughs> Yeah, fill that hole up now, dig that hole. Or dig a hole, now fill it up. Yep, you dug a hole, fill it up. But it's... Uh, but it's all discipline, yeah. It's, it, it really grounds you. And it's, uh, you know, I guess the first big realization is when you see your locks fall on the ground as they've just given you a buzz cut. Oh, boy. In the, yeah. in the barbershop. And, and not, then not you so much as you look at the guy next to you and say, oh, my God, am I going to look like that? You yeah. know. And come to find out, we all look the same, don't we? That's right. <laughs> it equalizes you really quickly. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, like I said, everybody should experience it. And there's no, well, I've done this, I've done that. No. If you haven't gone through basic and AIT, like Paul said, you haven't done it. And... I'm. I was very blessed that uh, I was in the reserves, but it has given me the opportunity to talk to people like you, Paul. And uh, a lot of a lot of vets won't talk to you if you're not a vet of some sort. And uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that yeah. People don't. Un- I've spoken to the Breakfast Rotary Club, but I've been the guest speaker at the at the noon rotary club and they've been really supportive of this memorial marker project but it's you know there's a lot of people that just don't really appreciate the military and the sacrifices people in the military have to make just to be in the military um i think today it pays a little bit better i know it does a lot better than when i was in there that 170 bucks a month i got hazardous duty pay uh didn't go very far but there's a lot of fat sacrifices when you're if you're married and have children and have to leave your family and and what have you, but that's what keeps America America. Absolutely, uh, Paul. I hate to say it, but you've just gone through a whole hour with me, and uh, we're going to have to shut it off. But the one thing I, I would like to ask: Will you come back and be on again? I'd be glad to. I didn't think I'd find enough to talk about for an hour, but you're really easy to talk to and, and really bring it out of me. Well, thank you, sir, and it's been a pleasure having you on, and uh, we will be back in contact. You're listening to America's Web Radio and David's Pick, and it will be on our website very shortly, so tune in and listen to Paul again. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, David, and God bless you. Thank you, sir. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.